Good evening, everyone. So this evening we're going to discuss a little bit of the wonderful pastime of Vamana Dave's appearance, the circumstances regarding his appearance, and all this in the context of the Manvantaras. Uh, this narration is from the eighth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, and in the eighth canto, um, there is much discussion of the Manvantaras. The Manvantaras are 14 in number and they preside over one day of Brahma. And the expanse of time time is enormous, gigantical, beyond conception, but it's part of one of the ten subject matters of a major Purana. Major Purana has ten subjects, and one of them is the Manvantaras, or the reigns of a Manu, sometimes referred to as the kings, the the kings of men. In other words, they they have pretty responsible jobs. Uh, they are they populate the universe. They put into uh, they along with their administration keep universal affairs running and in order. So it's good for us to have an idea that there's a lot happening behind the scenes, (laughs) so to speak, in our material existence. Now, we understand that our the time that we've been under the material conception of life or the self-centered conception of life is a naughty. We can't trace out its beginning. So all this really that's presented is simply a refresher course. We've already, so to speak, been there and done that unlimited amount of times. All these ideas go to strengthen our sambandha gyan, our our knowledge of the inner relationships between things within material existence. Hopefully in pursuit of ending our material existence, which is also one of the ten items of a major Purana. Liberation, mukti, the winding up of things. And one of those windings up is referred to as absolute. And that winding up means that the jivas sojourn within material, within the Lord's external energy is concluded entirely, never to return. You're not going to fall back into the material world if you can get out of it. And you can get out of it when somebody takes you by the hand and pulls you out. So it's a lot to do with mercy 
and a little bit of endeavor on our part. I'm not going to be able to cover within one short class all the details of Vamana's appearance and and but I'm going to try to set the scene because the main highlights of this particular pastime as devotees you've heard repeatedly so I'm going to kind of concentrate on the front end of it from the perspective of what it is and how it fits into the whole concept of the Manus, those 14 universal administrators that make their appearance in every day of Brahma. So in every day of Brahma, there's 14 Manus. And these 14 Manus preside over 71 cycles each of the four yugas. And each yuga cycle is 4,320,000, I believe, years, which is basically a, a ten, act, 10 times mathematics. Kali Yuga is 432,000 years. And if you multiply it by two, you get a Dwarpa Yuga. And if you multiply that by two, if you add that amount again, you get a Treta Yuga, and that amount again, you get a Satya Yuga. And the yugas, as far as the length of time, you can look to the length of their duration as to be also be representative of the mentality of the human beings and the atmosphere within those yugas. So Satya Yuga is the, the age of the of the gods, so to speak. Everybody has mystic powers. Everybody lives for a very, for a long time. Satya Yuga. So Satya Yuga is four times the length of Kali Yuga. And Treta Yuga is three times. Dwarpa Yuga is twice. And Kali Yuga is so if we add those together, four, two, three, and one, we come up with the with the ten figure of ten, which is the which is a which is a cycle of the four yugas. One thousand of those cycles of four yugas is a day of Brahma. There's 14 Manus in a day of Brahma, and they each get 71 of those Yuga cycles, more or less. The math gets a little fuzzy. <laughs> Our math gets a little fuzzy in trying to comprehend it. But 71 Yuga cycles. So these guys are around for a long time. And they have a lot of responsibility. 
we've, we see in the Bhagavatam that primarily a lot of the, the Leela regarding creation is set in the time of Swayambhuva Manu, the first Manu during that first 14, what, 71 Yuga cycles, Swayambhuva Manu. So now we're going to fast forward ahead from Swayambhuva up to Vaivasvatu Manu. That's our current Manu. And we're in the 28th cycle, 28th out of the 71 cycles. This Manvantara is the 7th of the 14. So we're about up to noontime and we're about up to noontime, the mid midday of Brahma's day. And the midday is a good time of day for us because once in a day of Brahma, Krishna comes personally twice in this very same yuga. And that's the Kali Yuga that we're in. So out of all that expanse of time, in all that expanse of time, here we are. And Krishna was on this very planet that we're on now only 5,000 years ago. Of course, to us, it's like forever. But really, it's not. We're pretty close to being there. And Lord Chaitanya was here only 500 years ago. That seems pretty close. That seems, once we start studying the Shastra, wow, we could get his foot dust on our head right now. So that's where this particular Leela of the appearance of Vamanadeva is taking place also in this very same Manvantara of Vaivashvatu Manu. And the Lord appeared at Vam, as Vamanadeva as the youngest of the Adichas or the offsprings of Aditi. And Aditi's husband was Kashyapa. At the beginning of this narration, which starts in the 8th canto, 15th chapter, uh, there's a little bit of a, a a foretelling of what's going to what what we're about to discuss. Bali Maharaj in this Leela is is going to take over heaven and kick Indra out. He's gonna he's gonna take over his post and in the very next reign of Manu, in the next Manvantara, he's going to become Indra and have that position during that whole Manvantara, during that Manvantara. I don't know if it's the whole or not. The more I study the Bhagavatam, I'm led to believe that the principal demigods their positions are for the entire administration 
of a Manu. So there, that, that would be the principal demigods of which the king of heaven, who's in charge of all of them, would be one of those demigods. So during the next reign of Manu, Bali, who stole Indra's, well, stole Indra's city and kicked him out, is actually going to become Indra. Be careful what you wish for. He wanted it, and he's go- he's going to get it. Hasn't got it yet. He's somewhere else right now. But after the after a next regime change within the universal government, uh, he's going to be the Indra. In the next Yuga cycle, the Lord will appear as Sarvabhoma, and uh, he'll take the kingdom away from Purandar, who's the current Indra. That's his name, but he has the post of Indra. And he'll give it to Bali Maharaj. So let's get into the Leela. There was a fight with the between the demons and the demigods. And uh, during that fight, the demigods came out victorious and they they took all of Bali's wealth and they basically killed him. He lost his life heirs. So Sukracharya, who is a descendant, a descendant of Brigu, uh, brought him back to life after this fight with the demigods. He brought Bali back to life. After that revival, the Brahmana descendants of Brigu, so Sukracharya brought him back to life, and then the Brahmana descendants of Brigu, they performed a sacrifice on the behalf of Bali Maharaj and engaged him in that sacrifice, of course. And as a result of this sacrifice, Bali got a few benedictions, which were good for him because he was a little upset that he lost all of his wealth and been defeated by the demigods. He's a demon, so-called. Well, he's born in a family of demons. But they're pretty far-out demons. His grandfather was Prahlad Maharaj. During this sacrifice, of course, sacrifice, if performed properly, yields all kinds of uh, good fortune to one who performs it. So he received a chariot which was covered with gold and silk. It was drawn by yellow horses. has to be the same color of the horses as Indra has on his chariot. The chariot was marked with a flag of a lion, and he got a gilded bow, bow, two infallible quiver of arrows. That means wherever he shot, he hit his mark. And uh, he got celestial armor, which if you're going to be protected, celestial armor is probably the best you could get. So when you're going to the marketplace buying armor, try to get the celestial brand. (laughs) It'll be good for you. You may have to perform a sacrifice for it, though. 
Pallad Maharaj was there and Pallad offered him a garland of, of flowers, which was good for him because the flowers that Pallad gave him, that garland, was made of flowers that never wilted. So that's nice. If you're going to wear a flower garland, it's good to wear one that you know isn't going to go away. And uh, Sukracharya gave him a conch. So Bali's feeling good. He gets on his chariot and he's surrounded by his army. And on his chariot, he's looking, he's looking just splendid with his golden bangles and sapphire earrings. And he looked like, Bhagavatam says, he looked like a fire on an altar. So he was, he was so powerful that as his army took off, the whole world trembled. And he went to the city of Indra. In this section of the Bhagavatam, there is a pretty good, this is the 15th chapter of the 8th canto, there's an extensive description of heaven. I'm sure it's just like, it's not a complete and absolute, uh, you know, description. But still, I thought you would be pleased to hear what's it really like in heaven. What are the, some of the some of the things in heaven? And I would recommend, as you're thinking and hearing all these this detailed description of heaven, realize that it doesn't hold. What do they say? A, a candle <laughs> to to the spiritual realm. So this is a, a description of Indra's city. Pleasing forests and gardens such as the Nandana Gardens, deathless trees with fruity, with fruity, fruity, flowers and shoots. That's what the Bhagavatam says. Intoxicated humming bees and couples of chirping birds. I think somebody didn't do the English translation so good. Gardens, there were ponds full of swans, cranes, chakravarkas, and ducks in which the devatas women, devata women played. The city was surrounded by canals which acted as a moat and by high walls which had the color of fire and high watchtowers on top. So you can just try to envision, uh, you know, Sukadeva is trying to give us some, some view into Indra Prasta, into, into Puri, his, his abode. The city, now it was built by Vishwakarma, was divided by broad roads and had crystal gates and entrances with golden doors. City was full of courtyards, smaller roads, resting areas, and not less than 100 million airplanes. Uh, that's a big airport. The jeweled crossroads had sitting places made of diamond and coral. Everlastingly beautiful and youthful women, known as Shama, who were dressed with clean garments. 
Breezes blowing in the streets of the city bore the fragrance of the flowers falling from the hairs of the Devita women. Apsaras passed on the streets, which were street, which were covered. Fragrant smoke of a guru incense emanating from windows with golden filigree. The city was shaded by canopies decorated with pearls, and the torrents of the palaces had flags of jewels and gold. The city always resounded with the vibration of peacocks, pigeons, and bees, and about the city flew airplanes full of beautiful women who chanted auspicious songs. The city was attractive with the sounds of madungas, conches, kettle drums, and flutes keeping beat to stringed instruments and tambourines with dancing accompanied by instrumental music and with Gandharva's singing. The beauty of Indrapuri defeated beauty personified. No one, this is a verse in English from the Bhagavatam, no one with sinful, envious, violent, or violence toward, towards other living entities, cunning, falsely, false, being falsely proud, lusty, or greedy could enter that city. The people who lived there were all devoid of these faults. King Indra, along with the other devatas, approached the guru. Why did they approach the guru? Bali had arrived at the city gates and his army had surrounded the entire city. And he could perceive from seeing the army that he was defeated even before an engagement in battle. So Brihaspati said to Indra at that time, who Brihaspati is the the guru of the demigods. He said, O Indra, I know the cause for your enemies becoming so powerful. The Brahmana descendants have endowed their student with their power. So it wasn't that Bali had the power himself, but the Brahmanas in the sacrifice, remember he got all those benedictions, the Brahmanas who performed the sacrifice on behalf of Bali, invested in Bali their very power. And this has happened before in the Bhagavatam. That the power of the, of the Brahmanas can be conveyed uh, during a sacrifice. Vishwanath's commentary on this verse I thought was important. I wanted to share it with you. The Brahmanas gave it as exchange their own powers to Bali, who had offered to them everything out of extreme devotion and faith. So this was a characteristic of Bali Maharaj. When he came in contact with a Brahmana, he couldn't, he couldn't control himself. He had to give them everything that he had. In exchange for that quality, that total surrender on his part, every time he contacted a Brahmana, they gave him all their power. So therefore, when he approached Indrapuri, Indraprastha, there was, there was no question of defeating him because he had all the power of the Brahmanas. And then, thus it was 
their power, not Bali's. We are not less powerful than those Brahmanas. Brihaspati is telling him, we're not less powerful than those Brahmanas who gave the power to Bali. If we become pleased with your devotion and faith, you will become immediately full of our power and will be able to defeat him. This hint is given in the verse. Indra obviously didn't pick up on it. <laughs> See, what Brihaspati said, he said it this way, O oh, Indra, I know the cause of your enemies becoming so powerful. I know the cause. The Brahmana descendants have endowed their student with their power. So Brihaspati's trying to help him. Hey, just see, if you surrendered everything to us, you could also become as powerful, probably more powerful than Bali. Are you willing to do that? But the thought never crossed his mind <laughs> to, to his detriment. Therefore, Brihaspati just had to give him a recommendation. All right. Uh, hide yourselves and get out of town. It's his town now. He's won. So they did. All the demigods relinquished the city of Indra and uh, and however, somehow, although they were surrounded, they were able to get out of town. They could change their forms. They do have mystic powers. They are the you know, the primary demigods in the universe. The David is thus being advised by Brihaspati, who saw the truth, assumed forms according to their desires, and left Swarga. So they changed their forms and and got out of town. Chapter 16. Aditi's sons are the Devatas. So she's their mother. And Kashyapa was out doing some... No, he wasn't chopping wood. I mean, you'd think for a household you generally have to work, but being a sage, he just had to meditate. So he, he came out of his trance and he went back to his hermitage to... I don't know. He was done working for the day, perhaps. Didn't say exactly. But he did return to his hermitage, and he saw that his wife was in distress. And there's a whole section there in the Bhagavatam where he tries to find out what could be the source of your distress. A lot of valid instruction there in the 16th chapter. Seeing his wife, the mood of his wife, he had to inquire has anything inauspicious happened in our household that would put you into this frame of mind in regards to Dharma, in regards to Brahmanas, people in general? Is there any inauspiciousness in our ashram from, you know, Artha, Dharma, Karma, Kama? Are all those going on nicely? Have you failed to properly receive an uninvited guest? Seeing the symptoms of your withered face, I can perceive that your mind is not tranquil. Aditi. She finally says, O oh Lord, think of the welfare of your servant. Man of vows. You're a man of vows. Think of my welfare. 
O Master, please protect us, whose wealth and residence has been stolen by the demons. So she explains the situation, and she has so much empathy for her, for her offspring, she feels her hermitage has been stolen. They've stolen my home. You know how you feel when somebody takes your close family members. So you, you feel the same. So that's her statement is like that. Please protect us, whose wealth and residence has been stolen by the demons. Kashyap at this point says, well, I can help you rectify the situation. He says, worship the Supreme Lord who will beg from his devotee, who will inspire Bali from within the heart, who will appear in you when you are purified, and who will benefit the whole universe. Kashyapa then gives to his wife detailed instructions in how to perform the milk drinking sacrifice. Payavrata. Payavrata. Twelve days drinking only milk, offering prayers to the Lord, worshiping the deity, giving the remnants of foodstuffs, particular foodstuffs to the brahmanas. There's a detailed outline of exactly how to perform this sacrifice giving, given in the Bhagavatam. There's also various prayers there. In the verses of the Bhagavatam are actually nine of the prayers that Kashyapa gave to Aditi. The first one being Namastu Byam Bhagavate Purushaya Mahisa Sarvabhuta Nivasaya Vasudevaya Saksane. I offer my respects to you, the Supreme Lord, the greatest person the one who resides in all beings, Vasudev, the witness of everything. In this way, for twelve days, one should drink only milk. He's giving her detailed instructions then. After he's given her the prayers, these are the prayers you say. For twelve days, you drink only milk, uh, and you daily honor the Lord, perform deity worship, perform sacrifices, and feed the Brahmanas. O excellent lady, with purity... Follow this vow faithfully. The Supreme Lord will very soon be pleased with you and will satisfy all your desires. In the next chapter, O King, Maharaj Pariksit is being spoken to by Sukadev Goswami, with purity, as the wind gives rise to fire in wood, Kashyapa Muni, absorbed in the form of the Lord, transforms the potent form of the Lord held within him for a long time by his austerity to Aditi. So again, we see a similar transferal of the Lord as we do in Krishna's advent with Vasudeva and Devaki. Similarly, Kashapa transferred the Lord from himself to Aditi. Go on to the 18th chapter. Sukadeva Goswami said, After Lord Brahma glorified the Lord's prowess, the Lord, whose appearance is not subject to death, appeared from the womb of Aditi within, with lotus eyes, yellow garments, and four hands bearing conch, club, lotus, and disc. 
then the description goes on and one can tell from the description that actually the form of the Lord that manifested before Aditi and Kashyapa was that of Vishnu. The description in the Bhagavatam continues. The Lord, who has a spiritual form, whose form is eternally endowed with ornaments and weapons, and is invisible to the world, became visible. He manifested a form for them. Then in the presence of his parents, and we've heard this before in the 10th canto, or maybe we're hearing this first in the 8th canto, but it's the similarities are striking. Then in the presence of his parents, to please them, the Lord, like an actor whose actions are hard to understand, became Vamana, a dwarf Brahmana voice, dwarf, a Brahmachari. And the demigods arrive and shower flowers, and they shower more than flowers. They start giving benedictions to Vamana. The sun god uttered the Gayatri. This is at his, his birth ceremony not the manifestation of a form, but when he received his spiritual birth. So when he was initiated, the following takes place. The sun god uttered, uttered the Gayatri mantra, gave him mantra. Brihaspati gave him the sacred thread. Kashyapa offered a belt straw, straw belt. Uh, Mother Earth gave him a deer skin. The Devata of the moon gave him a staff. Aditi gave him cloth for underwear. Didi's presiding over Swarga gave an umbrella. Brahma, Brahma offered a water pot. The seven sages offered him kusa grass. Sarasvati gave him a string of beads. Kuvera gave him a pot for begging alms. And Uma gave him his first alms. The Lord then came to hear of the horse sacrifices being performed by Bali Maharaj to fortify his position as the king of heaven. When the Lord heard that strong Bali Maharaj was sponsoring horse sacrifices performed by followers of Brigu, the Supreme Lord, who is full in every respect, proceeded there depressing the earth with his weighty qualities at every step. The qualities mentioned by Vishwanath in his commentary are uh, the weight of his power and of his mercy. So that... Vamana arrives there and he's standing on the outskirts of the sacrificial arena and he's brilliant like the sun and he captures everybody's attention they don't know who's arrived does the sun god come to the sacrifice so they approach Bali Maharaj who's the sponsor like the head of the sacrifice it's like if somebody came to the house the head of the household would go out out and you know, welcome them. So Bali approaches and offers kind words and he worshipped the Lord uh, by worship by washing his feet. There's a young Brahmana boy, he must have 
first thing, wash his feet, make him comfortable, give him a good seat. Uh, later on, as the narration proceeds, Bali Maharaj says, take from me whatever you want. Um, oh, best of those who are worshipable. So that, again, Bali's natural natural character of, of wanting to give everything to a brahmana and here's a young brahmana uh, take from me a cow gold a furnished house pallet of food and drink how about the daughter of a young brahmana as your wife how about a prosperous village horses elephants or chariots whatever you want is yours I mean he does have Indra's city so he has a lot of his at his disposal he can offer whatever you want you can have I got it all here there's nothing lacking in my city you can imagine he's properly establishing himself he's performing these sacrifices so that he's he's increasing everything he's increasing his his ownership of heaven basically by performing these sacrifices a dialogue then is presented in the Bhagavatam wherein Vamana gives a recap to Bali of his lineage and those amazing forefathers of his. Here in Yaksha, he speaks of what here Yaksha did. Hiranyakasipu. It's funny. He says in relationship to Hiranyakasipu, he said, wherever I go, he's speaking of himself, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he's saying to Bali, he says, wherever I go, Hiranyakasipu will follow me. Just as death follows all living entities. Hiranyakasipu, in other words, he's telling Bali, Hiranyakasipu was so mad at me. After I killed his brother, he, he followed me. He, he wanted me so, he followed me everywhere. Just as death follows every living entity. Therefore, I had to enter the core of his heart. For then, because he could only see externally, he would not see me. As the Supreme Lord, that's where the Lord hid until he couldn't hide no more and was drawn out by the plight of Prahlad Maharaj, Hiranyakasipu's son. He also, um, and he goes on to say how he entered. And this is interesting. He entered into Hiranyakasipu's heart through his nostril. He said he was breathing so heavily in his anger towards me he just sucked me right in. Taking a subtle form, entering the body of his enemy through the nostril when his enemy be breathed while pursuing him. He tells Bali about Garochana, the son of Maharaj Prahlad, his father, and how affectionate he was towards the Brahmanas. So Bali had received this quality of giving in charity from his father. The narration goes on and finally comes to the point of, okay, you've made an offer to give me whatever I want. O king of the Deitches, 
from you who are able to give charity munificently. I ask only three paces of land to the measurement of my steps. Bali immediately retorts. He says, you're such an unintelligent young man. Look at what I have here. You're not even aware of your own self-interest? One who approaches to me, me to beg something should not have to ask again. In other words, let's, let's do this right the first time, is what Bali's saying to Vamana. Ask what you want. Three steps of land is only enough for a hermitage. And Vamanas, the dialogue's there. Okay, well, that's all I really need. I need a place to lay down my head, and then I'll just beg, and people will feed me. What more do I need? Bali's like, come on, think a little bit here. Don't, you know, you're a young boy. You need to, do you need some counsel? Let me give you some Brahmanas to give you some counsel to work this out. Look at what I have. So you shouldn't, ask, you shouldn't have to ask again. Make sure what you ask for is what you really want. The Lord said, O king, whatever is pleasing in the three worlds cannot satisfy a person whose senses are uncontrolled. A little philosophy coming from Vamana Dave. And of course, Sukracharya, Sukra, Sukracharya, Sukra means semen, the Acharya, which is the, the family guru, is the intent meant in the Bhagavatam to be expressed. That uh, Not a sad guru, but a guru who's, who also may not be fully looking out for your absolute spiritual well-being, but your overall, overall well-being uh, in existence. So Sukracharya was, of course, the, the guru of Bali Maharaj, but he also had, he wasn't, wasn't fully what we conceive of when it comes to Sadguru, somebody that's here to end material existence. I guess you could say he had a stake in the matter a little bit looking out a little for his self-interest also. O son of Virochana, this Brahmana is directly the imperishable Supreme Lord. Vishnu, accepting Kashyapa Muni as his father and Aditi as his mother, he has now appeared in order to fulfill the interests of the Devatas. This is your enemy. This is not your friend. So there's an extensive dialogue there. Sukracharya does some preaching to Bali Maharaj and tries to get him to just, maybe you want to back off on this, giving this young Brahmana whatever he wants. Let's think about this. And then he, then he gives him a little wisdom from the Veda to fortify his position. There's a lot of stuff in the Vedas from all different angles of vision and you have to put it in proper context. Sukracharya pulls this one out of his hat. In flattering a woman, 
in joking in order to get married, in earning one's livelihood in dangerous circumstances, in protecting cows and Brahminical culture, or in protecting a person from an enemy's hand, falsity is never condemned. There you go. So you can retract. It's all right. We know how the story goes on. Bali doesn't have anything to do with that instruction, and he disobeys the order of his spiritual master. His justification is, what is the use of wealth that one has to leave behind on dying? Should it not be used to satisfy a brahmana? Sukracharya, he comes back, although you have no knowledge, I'm the guru, you have no knowledge, uh, you have become a so-called learned person, and therefore you dare to be so impudent as to disobey my order? Because of disobeying me, you shall very soon be bereft of all your opulence. Bali Maharaj was not swayed in his determination even after being cursed. And he worshipped Vamana, offered water, and then gave him the land he requested. And as they say, we know how the story ends. Vamana had to arrest Bali Maharaj because he couldn't fulfill his pledge. Because you have been given, been unable to give charity according to your promise. In other words, Vamana in two steps got more land than Bali had. In fact, he covered the universe and pierced its shell. You should live in a hellish plant in the hellish planets. Therefore, being pleased, enter hell along with your guru. Bali Maharaj said. O most famous Lord, worshipped by all the devatas, if you think that my promise has become false, I shall make it true. I shall not be made a cheater. Please, therefore, place your third lotus footstep on my head. I, in other words, he, I, I accept entirely this punishment for not being able to fulfill my charity vow. Well, thank you very much for your association, for coming for Saturday night at the ashram. Bunch of cockatoo, Miss John.